Okay, the reading's taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, and then 23 is missed out. I'll have to look at that one. And then 24 to 34. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lovely to be back here. I think I was here last summer and it was lovely weather then as well. I remember it being warm, so that uh, brings, brings out the sun. Um, nice, there's a, a dog here as well. I used to be a pastor of a church where a dog came uh, regularly, but it was, um, belonged to a Russian family, so I don't think it understood anything I was saying. And <laughs> slept through the sermon, so I hope, uh, hope this dog does as well. Um, I wonder if you know what the word oniomania is. Oniomania. Has anyone got any ideas what it is? It's one of the manias. It's an addiction to something. No? No guesses. Well, that... <laughs> I've written here, not addi addiction to onions. <laughs> No, it's not. No, but a good guess, you might, you might think, on your mania, is an addiction to shopping. So it's on the theme this morning. Apparently, when we make a purchase, our brain releases endorphins and dopamine. Somebody's nodding. <laughs> and um, for some people, this momentary pleasure can lead to more compulsive shopping. Um, because it gives us an instant reward and we feel better and we want to have that good feeling again. Um, so it can turn into an addiction. An addiction. 
Um, but most of us would call it shopping therapy, I think. Uh, I love... Well, I was preparing this sermon. I kept thinking, kept reminding me of uh, online shopping. So I kept having a look and thinking, no, that's not the point of it. <laughs> In Jesus' time, there weren't all the temptations of online shopping, um, but money was still very powerful, and it hasn't lost its power. And Jesus has an uncompromising attitude to money, saying we need to choose whether to serve God or to serve money. And his teaching might seem a bit impractical for us, a bit idealistic, Maybe it's only relevant uh, for the young who haven't got all responsibilities. Um, Mark and I were mission workers for many years with BMS World Mission. Um, We didn't have much money. Um, We lived by faith. We had a small allowance. Uh, We had our housing paid for, which was great. Um, Our parents paid for our holidays, which uh, which was nice. So it wasn't easy, but we had enough. And we were, we were young, so we didn't have all the worries that you get when you're a bit older about money. So now we're in our 50s, I worry a lot more about money because I realise, or we realise, we need somewhere to live when we retire. We need a pension, something to live on, and we'd like to help our children as they're setting out on their lives. So is Jesus' advice practical? Is it relevant to modern living? He didn't have a house or a family to worry about. And what about, you know, the hundred people who come to our pantry every week? Come, um, you know, with Jesus saying to them, don't worry about what you eat and drink. Don't worry about what you wear. What does that advice say to them when they are worried, when they have not enough to put in their meter for electricity? So was this teaching meant for a simpler time? when people expected Jesus to return in their lifetime and so they wouldn't need a pension. I think this passage can make us feel uncomfortable, so we immediately try to explain it away or make excuses for it. So firstly, this passage is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and so it's for disciples. And that's the first thing. I think we know that, but we need reminding of that. It's for people who've started following Jesus on the way. In Matthew 6.30, Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. And he says that in the Gospels regularly to his disciples in their moments of weakness. Oh, you of little faith. He's quite hard and stern with them. And the crowd around them may have overheard it, but they weren't the main audience. This is for people who have experienced the mercy and the forgiveness of God, who have made a commitment to Jesus, who've started on the way, who know God's ways are not our ways, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, who know something about God's involvement in our lives, deeply in our lives, who know that God is a God who keeps his promises and who know that, at least in theory, God can be trusted with our futures. And so we can trust God with our money. The crowd around were meant to overhear something, 
But to everyone in the crowd who hadn't yet decided to follow Jesus, this teaching was foolishness. It was crazy, very impractical. As it is today to many people, it is foolishness. And perhaps we forget sometimes that following Jesus involves sacrifice, involves taking up our cross like him, even if it hits us in our pockets. Secondly, there's a sharp contrast drawn. Treasure in heaven or treasure on earth? God or money? And no compromise is offered, even though we look for one. And we naturally want to take a middle way, an accommodation. But we can't get off the hook. It doesn't solve for us what we should do about our housing or our pension or our kids. And we'd like to argue it's okay to pursue wealth if we spend our money in the right way. In a previous church, not the current one, uh, a church member who started a business and the business started going really well and they started earning serious money. And he said to us, I'd like to buy a Jaguar. Is that okay? I mean, amazing that he asked the pastors of, and said, perhaps if I do donate the price of a Jaguar to the church, that would be okay. That sort of negotiation. <laughs> he decided not to get a Jaguar. He bought a Mercedes in the end. Uh, but he didn't give the money to the church. That Jesus gives us a simple choice, God or money, where is our heart? And if we're wondering where our heart is, the faith of Israel was very practical. They said seeking treasure in heaven meant giving money away to the poor. It wasn't just an emotion or an attitude of the heart. It was an action, giving money away. Divided service means a divided heart. And this passage is practical too. It doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is. I think we get it the wrong way round. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will migrate to. It will follow where your treasure is. So you can't say, I don't think, I've got it all. I've got wealth, I've got house, I've got holidays, but I don't idolize it because that's very hard. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will soon make its home in the same place. That's a hard teaching. Where is our heart? Is it bound up with security that's vulnerable to decay or thieves or engaged in the pursuit of God's will? In our Bible study at church, we've been reading the book of Acts and... Uh, Ananias and Sapphira were struck down dead for pretending they sold their field and they brought the offering to the, to the apostles and they pretended that all, they were giving all the money away, but they'd kept secretly kept some back. And there's that, you know, that very shocking story when they were struck down. And then later, Simon the magician is severely condemned by Peter for offering money for the miracles of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. So the early church were very, very serious about money. They didn't compromise, particularly on the deception of money. 
Perhaps we wondered after Friday night's experience of thieves if we should bring down God's curse on the people who stole the church safe. At least maybe it, that it fell on someone's toe. Or... <laughs> Jesus says the alternative to anxiety about money is to pursue the reign of God. Pursuit of God's way, saying your kingdom come as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, means breaking with a world of fretting about food and clothing. Can be freedom from worry and stress, but that's hard. I'm a big worrier. Praying for God's reign entails trusting God for the gifts that we need to sustain life. Give us this day our daily bread, the prayer goes. Enough bread for each day. Not for next week, next month, next year, but today. And remember the people of God in the desert, they were given the manna each morning. It was fresh each morning, but when they tried to store it up, it went all mouldy. But that's hard, trusting God for each day, just enough. One commentator says, being a disciple has always required Christians to be cultural atheists, publicly disavowing the myriad gods of popular life. And one of the biggest gods is money. Thirdly, the passage, as well as being hard, urges us to have a joyful, a light-hearted trust in God our Father. Remember, um, we went to a, a pizza restaurant uh, when we were living in Italy. It was run by a Moroccan family, not, a, not Italian family. And while we were eating, a very small boy ran in through the door, shouting, Abba, Abba. He was calling for his dad. Abba in, is, uh, in Arabic is dad, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he came and he flung his arms round his Abba, his dad. Our Father God wants us to do that with him. Jesus invites us to call our Father God, our Dad, and to run to him as that little boy did, calling to him and trusting that he will look after us, will provide for us. Running into his open arms. And God, our Father, God, our Abba, our Dad, delights to give good gifts to us, his children, as fathers do, delight to give good gifts to their children. It's not a somber, killjoy rule, crushing us with a weight of rules or with penny pinching. It can feel like that a bit sometimes. But a joyful, free, trusting in God our Father. My daughters and their friends shop in second-hand shops. Vintage, of course, they call it there. But they're not ashamed or miserable about it. They do it proudly, joyfully, because it's a sustainable way of shopping. And I've tried to do that a little bit more. Makes them feel free from the business of consumption. It's a bit more difficult for my son, who's six foot two, trying to find second-hand clothes that fit him are, are hard and trainers. But that attitude that Jesus is asking for, a joyful way of undercutting the anxiety-inducing ways of the world and the advertising which gets into us, that we know all the jingles. Jesus says our Father knows what we need. 
He knows. And if we spend as much time on our relationship with God as in making and spending money, we might get the hang of it. All the gifts God delights to give to his children. Shopping can be addictive and worry about money can be addictive. We get into a cycle of worry and God wants to set us free from this. To live simply trusting him, our dad. Holding tightly onto what we have is exhausting and very tiring. And God wants us to open up our hands and release our things to him. Be free. I know very much that you're a generous church. You've shared with us Bernice. And last time I came here, after that, Suzanne offered uh, to be an English teacher for the Ukrainians who come to the food pantry. And she's been very generous with her time, with her energy, and also with her money, uh, and gifts, the gifts that she has in teaching. And that's been a lovely blessing, and really enabled some of the Ukrainians to have a good start uh, in the country, to find jobs, and to be able to do day-to-day things. So that's a real blessing. So I know you're a generous church. God often uses us to be generous to one another. And you have a new minister coming. I don't know him at all, but I imagine, I know what it's like being a minister. There are financial sacrifices to train and be a minister and for a family. And the generosity of a church can make a massive difference. A great difference to the ministry and interestingly also to witness to minister's children. I know how much our children watch and understand the various churches uh, and jobs that we've done, how generous people are, not just with money, but with other things as well, and time for them. So that's quite important. Being generous is a witness to a minister's family. I hope in reading this passage will leave us feeling a bit uncomfortable because I think that's what it's meant to like we've got something in our shoe a stone in our shoe or a bit of sand and we're just feeling "Mm, maybe I need to make some changes and we always do God asks us where our heart is and I think we need to keep asking ourselves that keep getting our heart back from the places it strays it migrates to Hope also this passage hints at the joy we can experience, the freedom we can experience as children of God. The promise of a way of life that puts money in its place and puts God in God's place. Let's pray. Father God, we long to have an undivided heart to offer everything to you, to follow you. But sometimes it's hard and we often take our hearts back and they follow other things, other idols. Help us to keep coming back to you. Redirect our hearts. Help us to know very practically what to do with our money and the things that we have. That we might offer them to you and be generous to you and to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.